doesn't take away the little bit of jitters there. Last week, I already knew what I was going to be speaking on. In fact, that Sunday before, two Sundays ago, I came and talked to Pastor Angela and said, you just preached on something, and my notes are about some of this stuff. It's going to be so close together. Is that okay? She's like, yeah, 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 that's confirmation. Wednesday night, we come into church, and I'm talking to Mike out there, and he's like, yeah, you might think you have it all together, but the Holy Spirit can change it, so just be prepared even the day of. And I'm like, okay. God, we cannot do this the day of, because I'm barely holding it together as it is, so don't do it then. And I walked into church, and I was like, I have to change my sermon. I have to change my sermon. And I looked over at Todd, and I'm like, nobody in here is needing what I have right now. And he goes, you don't know what they need? I'm like, I have to change my sermon. So I go home, and we're looking at different topics. I find a couple, go to him, and he's like, this one. And I was like, yeah, that's it. That's what we're going to do. And so I picked this topic, and it's like, it feels good. This is going to be good. And it is. It's going to be a great topic when the time comes. So I go to my room, and I turn on my go-to song right now, which is Lion by Elevation Worship. And I'm praising and dancing. And if y'all know me, I don't sit very long, especially with music on. And I'm doing all of this, and the Holy Spirit's like, this, this is what you're going to preach on. And I may cry a little bit because we're talking about Jesus. And it, it just moves me. So <clears throat> I'm going to pray and then we're going to get started. Father, I thank you and I praise you for the lion and the lamb. I thank you for everything you've done. And I just ask that the words coming out of my mouth are from the Holy Spirit and would be a ministry to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. So <clears throat> when we think about power like you have your sports teams you have your your um, high school teams do you want to be like a sand crab or do you want to be like a tiger you want your team that you're rooting for to be somebody who can go out there and dominate right there's a high school in arkansas that they are the bubbles i would not put a lot of stock into the bubbles beating the lions just saying. So that's what, we, that's what we see. That's what we envision here. But in heaven, the representative of heaven is this little, tiny, cute, sweet little lamb. He can't beat anything. He's not going to beat the enemy. He's just this little bitty, tiny, cute thing, right? But he, has, he represents humility, gentleness, and sacrificial love. Jesus was the lamb, and John the Baptist even says to him, uh, says, declares us, he's coming in to be baptized, declared him the lamb of God who was to take away the sins of the world. But he's also the lion of Judah. So what we're going to learn tonight is how to combine the lion and the lamb, because the reality is Christ was both. There's a duality of Christ. He is the lion who's tough and roaring and out to do, and he's this little bitty lamb who sacrificed. How do we combine that? So I'm going to read the words to the song, and this is what moves me so much. Pride of Zion, prophet spoke. Our Messiah, he is flesh and bone. You alone are worthy to open up the scroll. Like the lamb you suffered, but the lion has a rose. 
Okay, let's just think about this for a minute. Any song that we sing that we have that's got the a resurrection of Christ, we hear when the veil is being torn, the ground's about to shake, the stones rolled away. Do you feel the power, the resurrection power? If it does not move you, there's something wrong. And you know what else? We have that same resurrection power. We don't call on it very often because we don't really uh, think about that kind of power being in us. This is such a moving thing for me to think about. I I just don't think we really comprehend that. Um, Okay, we're going to go to Revelations 5, 2 through 7. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll? Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. John, can you imagine John seeing this, knowing that Jesus died on the cross? His Lord, his Savior, and now for what? Because nobody's going to be able to do it. It's all this is just we're at the end. And he starts crying. And then one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion, the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. The lamb goes and takes the scroll, not the lion. Right? The elders point out, hey, here's the lion, and John sees the lamb, and the lamb is the one who's taken the scroll. Now, on the scrolls, we don't know what's written on this scroll, but ancient scrolls are read horizontally, so... You're going to hold them like this, and they have a couple of columns. And then you roll them out some more, and there's more columns. And in this scroll, it has it on the front and the back. This is not a normal thing um, for your ancient Roman scrolls. You don't have the writing on the front and the back. And the only other time it's mentioned in the Bible that it's on the front and the back is on is in Ezekiel, when Ezekiel is handed scroll, a scroll. And then this, roll, this scroll is rolled up, and it's sealed. And they would use this big, thick wax seal so nobody could come and get into it. The only person, I mean, and they would know. I mean, it protected the seals. So you have this, and it's done, and then it's done, and then it's done, and then it's done. You have seven times that somebody has to be able to get into this. But it's the lion that doesn't open the scroll. It's the lamb. The lion of Judah is love manifested through perfect justice. The lion is the perfect judge. He has no corruption. He has no wrongdoing. He is the perfect government. We can sit at his feet in total and complete peace because we know he's done nothing. But what happens with perfect justice? What happens to us? We go to hell. Perfect justice. We have sin. But the lamb is manifested in his mercy, which is expressed on the cross. That's what saves us. So, Jesus is the lion who is our justice. Lamb is the one who's mercy and grace, who sacrificed himself for us. 
the, the sin of Adam and Eve being brought in is why we had to have the lamb. And God knew this from the get. He knew we were going to mess up. <clears throat> Lions are large, powerfully built king of beasts. They're gorgeous. I mean, I've been looking lots of pictures this week. They are just so gorgeous and they're majestic. And their roar is arguably probably one of the most iconic sounds that you would hear. I mean, you're going to recognize a lion's roar. If it's played on the radio, the TV, it doesn't matter where you are, you're going to know it. They get to 114 decibels. That's louder than a rock concert. That is like louder than the jet when it's taken off. If you were standing there with none of the ear muffs, that's how loud it is. It can be heard five miles away. It's deafening and it's awe-inspiring. Why are they roaring? Why does a lion roar? They roar to warn intruders and keep them off of their property. They communicate their location to one another so they can know where everyone is in the pride. The lion, the lioness, does the hunting and caring for and protecting of the cubs while the male protects the territory and makes sure no one's entering and causing issues to his area. Okay? So I want to put that in a little bit of perspective of the Lion of Judah. Can you think about Jesus? being the lion, and we're the territory. We're his pride, right? So when he roars, what's he doing? He's roaring to say, I'm over here, guys. You've lost where I am. Come and find me, so I'm going to roar. And he's calling to us. We know his voice, so we come to him. But he's also calling to the lost, who needs to be found. So we are the church. We're the lioness in this little demonstration We are the lioness. What do we do? We go hunting because we're going to bring back the kill to the lion. That's our job. What's our kill? Our kill is the hurting and the loss of this world. And we bring them back in. And who's the protector now? Who's the one who, who's responsible now? We go bring them in. We make them a part of our pride. They're now in our territory. Who's the one? The lion of Judah. The Judah's the one who's protecting all of us, right? So I think a lion is a fitting image for Jesus because of the strength, because of his principality, it's the king of the beasts, and his vigilance because the lion sleeps with his eyes open. Did y'all know that? I did not. God never sleeps. When Todd was helping me with this, he was like, I don't believe that. Lions close their eyes. And I was like, I looked it up. And they don't. Uh, So I was right. Where does the Lion of Judah come from? Um, In Genesis 49, we see Jacob speaking over his sons. We know that it's got to be at the end of Jacob's life, and he's, he's speaking, he calls them all in, and he's speaking. And he's obviously speaking with some prophetic language, because if you listen to what he says to Judah, and then we're going to break it down and see where it points in a little bit. Genesis 49, 8 through 10. Judah... Your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stoops down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the people." So this is actually in reference, this is talking about, so Judah is going to have the kings through his lineage, right? So David, Solomon, who are all the, yeah, right, the kings, 
down to who? Who's the last king? This is going to be, so his, his reign is going to be forever. This is talking to Judah. But we know that this is really pointing to Jesus himself coming down. He's God in human form. He's flesh and bone. He's one of us. And he comes down as a ruler and he gives all of that up. And this fulfills the promise and prophecy of God's word. It gives us confidence. It gives us hope. He's our savior. He's our deliverer. He's our protector. He's our covering. We need a covering, guys. If you feel like your spouse isn't covering the way it's supposed to be done, go to Jesus. He's your covering. If you don't have the spouse to give you the covering, guess what? Who's your covering? The Lion of Judah. What? It's the Lion of Judah. Can you imagine this big old mane? Oh, I want to get in there and I just want to snuggle for a little bit. Jesus, come and just, you know. That's awesome. To me, that would be just, that's just great. Um, I just, I get really moved by that. So we're going to talk about Judah. And why did God choose Judah as the lion? I mean, there's 12 sons that he has. Why is it Judah? So Judah is um, the fourth son of Leah and Jacob. Y'all know Jacob went in and he's like, I want to marry Rachel. The dad's like, you're going to work seven years. And he says, fine. But then he gives him Leah. So he takes him and he works some more to get to Rachel. So they have kids. And her first three sons, she named something to the effect of their meanings of their names was one day my husband's going to love me as much as he loves his other wife. That's essentially each one of those names was about Jacob not loving her. But when she gets to Judah, it's totally different. Her focus is no longer on Jacob and Rachel. It's on God. It's on God the Father. And she names him Praise because she's going to give him praise. She's giving God praise for this child now. She's changed how she's naming. So Judah, I mean, from the get, we know God has a purpose for all of us. He has a purpose for Judah. And there's three events in his life that is what God used to show us the direction and why he was chosen. So event one, Judah is one of the brothers who takes Joseph and they put him in a pit. And, you know, they're going to let him die until Jacob, some animal, killed him or whatever. And all of a sudden you get Judah's like, wait, we can make some money. You know, did he, did he have compassion over Joseph and just didn't want him to die or did he want the money? My bet's he probably wanted the money, but it doesn't really matter because God wanted Joseph alive. He had a purpose to fulfill. So that was a part of the plan. That was the first event in Judah's life. Event number two is with his daughter-in-law. Judah has three sons. Tamar was married to the, to the oldest one. His, his first two sons were not good. Okay, His first two sons were um, very, how shall we say, disobedient to the Lord. Um, and Ur, the oldest one, died. So Tamar now has no son. And he says to Onan, you're going to go, because in the Old Testament, she had to have a son that's going to take care of her in her old age. So she's going to go have, the, one of the brothers has to provide a son for her. So it goes to the next one in line. And he said no. And when he said no, God's like, well, that's great. If you don't want to obey me, you can die too. So now the first two are both killed by God. <clears throat> the third one is too young to be able to produce a son. And 
So Judah's like, when he gets old enough, we're going to do this. And Judah forgets. And Tamar's a little ticked off, man. She's like, I need a son. So Tamar, very respectfully, waits till Judah's wife dies. And then she goes in as a prostitute to Judah and sleeps with him and becomes pregnant. And Judah is really ticked off at this point because you what an embarrassment to the family. You're not married. You don't, I can't believe this. And, and she tells him, it's your kid. This is what happened. That's who it was. And this is when he just stops and he repents. And he repents everything. He acknowledged his wrongdoing. He realizes he had failed her. He had failed his children. He had failed in all of the things. And he repents. All of a sudden, Judah is going to be becoming a different man. This was the moment his life was transformed. And it's significant because Matthew 1, 3, I did not give you all that verse. I'm not reading the whole thing. says, and Judah... The father of Perez and Zerah, twins, by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and so-and-so is the father of so-and-so, and the father of so-and-so. Who do we get to? We get to Jesus. Jesus' lineage is like watching a soap opera. If you could look back and see the people that God allowed to be in his lineage, I mean, Rahab was a prostitute. But she, you know, she turned her life around and God used her, right? And then you have this right here. It wasn't from his other third son. It's from one of the twins that was born out of her pretending to be a prostitute. See, to me, I look at this and I'm like, you know what, Lord? I got it because my mistakes, I'm pretty good. (laughs) I am not doing like that. Um, The event number three, he faces Joseph. The second time. So they all have gone to see, they have to go get grain and food and all the things, and, and they've used it all. So now they're going a second time. Joseph said, Bring Benjamin. So Benjamin and Joseph are the only two sons that are Rachel's. Everybody else is Leah's or two concubines. And Joseph was really trying to test the brothers here. And he has a cup slipped into Benjamin's bag. So as they're leaving, he can say he stole this cup. And this cup was like a dreamer's cup or a, a, a cup that would make them think that he was like Joseph. He wanted to see what the brothers would do. So they bring him back. They come in and he says to him, I'm not reading the scripture, but my scripture is Genesis 44:30 30 through 34. Y'all can put it up, but I'm just going to paraphrase. So Joseph says, <clears throat> leave Benjamin, y'all can all go back. And, you, and Judah's like, no, I, I swore to my dad the safety of this child. It will kill him if I show back up without Benjamin. This is not going to go well. So I need you to take me. I need you to let me be the sacrifice and let him go back with the brothers, please. That's when Joseph sends everybody out and says who he is. So this is a different Judah than when he sold Joseph. Judah becomes an example of repentance and redemption, which is the image of the ultimate redemption that we're going to see down his lineage that comes, comes later. So I want to break down Jacob's blessing over Judah, and I'm going to tie where the New Testament 
kind of refers to this blessing so that you can see where Jesus comes through this. <clears throat> so in Genesis 49.8, it says, Your brothers will praise you. So they're going to acknowledge the Lion of Judah's lordship. Philippians is what we're going to talk about that goes back to that. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in, every, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we are always going to praise him. We are not going to have a choice. It doesn't matter where you are in your life. You can be an agnostic, you can be an atheist, you can be a halfway Christian. There's not a halfway Christian. You either are or you're not. And you can be, it doesn't matter. When the time comes, every person, every person is going to bow before him and say, you are the Lord of Lords, you are the King of Kings, that's it. You, there's no questions. This is what this is talking about when he's speaking. They're going to praise you and they're going to acknowledge the Lordship of the Lion of Judah. The next one. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. So we're going to acknowledge the Lion of Judah's victory. In 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 26, Then comes the end, and when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and every power, he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Jesus destroys all of our enemies. Our enemies are sin and death. Those are our two enemies. We feel like we've got a lot of enemies. We have a bad day and we blame it all on the enemy. We've got, you know, different things. But, but Jesus took care of all of that. He gave us victory. He took away our sin. We no longer have to go die. We get to go live in heaven with Jesus. But we get to live in heaven with Jesus here if we would just do it. How hard is that? We, we make it harder than it really has to be. He gave it to us to do, but we just kind of don't. Um, the next one is, He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. So we're going to acknowledge his shed blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Now you all know when they did the Last Supper that he gives them the wine and says, This represents my blood. Okay? We, we use grapes. Okay? Uh, grape juice. First Peter 1, 18 through 19 says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So this blessing over Judah is really pointing to Jesus. The lion symbolizes power and the scepter symbolizes royalty. Um, we know that as important as it is to know God is the lion, because God is the lion, God would always be God. God could defeat his enemies. God would reign forever, right? There, would, there wouldn't be anything that changed except that we would be lost. We wouldn't have a way to him, but all the rest would be the same. So how do, how, what happened? Well, Jesus went to the cross. He sacrificed. He redeemed us by becoming humble as a lamb. We're never going to understand his position as the Lion of Judah until we understand him as the lamb that was slain. 
when the elder tells John, the lion, the tribe of Judah, because this is what heaven sees. See, heaven sees the completed work. God sees the completed work. He sees you and your completed work. He tells us that he will complete the work he has started in us. What does that mean? He already sees us in heaven completed. We are covered by the blood. I see my faults. I see my flaws. I could point out Todd's flaws all day long. That's part of who we are as human beings. But you know what? God sees us as the finished, finished work. So when we're seeing the lion and the lamb up there, John's seeing the lamb, but heaven's like, nope, we've already seen all this. This is old news. We're seeing him as the lion. God already sees us at the end as a finished work. We have to learn to see ourselves that way, to see our spouses, our children, our friends, our pastors. We need to quit picking on each other and finding the faults. We need to say, God sees this person as he is in heaven already. God already sees that. The lamb has enormous um, significance going back to Exodus, you know, beginning of the Old Testament. And when he's going to come and kill the firstborn sons, he tells them, take a lamb that's unblemished, put the blood over the doorpost so we can protect your children. This was God. And then every year after that, they had to do a, um, the feast, the festival, my notes, I need to see what it's called. Um, no, they just did it. They just had it with Easter, the Passover. So every year they have to do the, I was like, I know the word. Um, the Passover, every year, they had to go get this little lamb, this little sweet little lamb who's done no wrong, that's so cute, and they have to kill it so they can put off their sins, their wrongdoings. And this all happened and happened and happened and happened every year until Jesus died on the cross. And then it never had to happen again. He was the last lamb that had to go. So what happens once we start learning about the lion and the lamb and we understand how they work together and how they came together and the duality of Jesus? Well, now it's our job to start preparing the way of the Lord. That's, that's our job. We've learned this. Isaiah 43 through 5 says, A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it. All flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So he's coming back as a triumphant king. To the people who have prepared a road for him to come in in his glory. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to make this easy for him to come in with his glory. So what do we do? We have to remove the obstacles. The valleys have to come up. The mountains have to go down. It has to be a smooth way. The crooked places have to be made straight. Now, we do this. This is in spiritually. This is a mental picture so we can put it in here. Okay, so what do we do? How do we do those things? Well, we have to start asking God, where are the crooked places inside me? What do I need to change to make it straight? And then we need to still find the hurting and the lost 
and bring them in. And as we're doing this and we're praising, that song says, I will praise you in the valley. I don't remember all of the line, but praise you in the valley. So when we're praising in the valley, the valley floors are coming up. What happens to the mountains, guys? Mountains are coming down. Are we praising? Are we growing spiritually? Are we hunting out for the hurt and the lost and bringing them in? Are we making the way? Are we clearing out the path for them to come in so that when Jesus returns, he has a highway? Do we have a highway ready for him? Because that's what we're supposed to do. So that scripture I just read, Matthew, Mark, and Luke directly related to John the Baptist. He was the one crying in the wilderness. John the Baptist knew in the womb of Elizabeth when, when Mary walks in, he, he leapt. He knew it was Jesus. He knew he was God. He already knew. And he did his thing. And he prepared the way of the Lord. I am not going to go out and eat locusts and live in the wilderness because that's not what God's called me to do. But he has called me to do other things to prepare the way for him to get here. And it's time for us to do that. It's time for us to do it in our homes, in our churches, in our communities. We have to get out there and we have to do the things. When we were walking the land last week, I was, um, I was praying. We were all separated and everybody's doing their thing. And I'm praying and I see this lion's face with the mane and it was so intense. And he was coming across our land. And he was shoom, 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 shoom. And it was just a constant the whole time I was praying. And I was like, God, why am I seeing this? I know it has to be because of the song and what I'm preparing. It's got to just be me. I know it is. And he's like, no, I'm protecting my territory. This is my territory, and I'm protecting it. And he was letting me see the Lion of Judah coming down here and taking care of all of our land, our church, all of you. That's, so now, our job, we know he's here, right? We know he's there. We can feel it in our spirit, God is doing something. The earth is groaning. There's something changing right now around the world with the Holy Spirit. Our church, the Friday night prayers, have been exceptional. I haven't gotten to go. I've been going to Missouri to see a grandbaby, but I can still feel it in my spirit. It doesn't mean that I don't feel what's happening. We can feel this. So what are we doing to prepare the way? Because that's where we are. That's what we're doing. He is going to show his glory here. He is the lamb that was slain. He is the mercy and the grace that brings salvation through faith. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah that prevails in battle. He's roaring with a mighty roar of protection over his territory. He's roaring now. He's warning those who are threatening his property, his territory, his people. And he's telling them, you're going to get away from here. You're not going to stay here. So just go away. I'm in charge. And he's calling out to the lost. We have to go get the lost. He's making a way to make his return. The lion is coming back. Our sins are going to be judged. The lamb has already been slain. That's over. The seals are going to be opened. But this lion right now, he has a roar. 
and he is ready for his people to get with it and start moving to prepare the way. Okay, so now I'm going to pray. Father, the time is now for you have called. The place is now for you have spoken. I know we're in a wilderness, a desert. It's dry and it's rough and it's uneven. There are wide gaps between the high and the low, but they're coming together, Father. We're praising, we're praising, we're doing the things. There are crooked places, Father. Help us to know so we can make them straight. You have called, you have spoken. You didn't tell us if or when or maybe or try. You said the valleys shall come up. The mountains shall come down. The rough will be made smooth. This is you talking to us, Father. We will persevere in preparing. We will make the highway for your coming. Your glory shall be revealed in this place, and all, all shall see it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.